from Fresh Air Studios in Plymouth. This is In Conversation With, the podcast from Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce. Presented by Stuart Elford. With special guest Nick Hutton of Sale GP. We bought it in the village from San Francisco, actually. We didn't know anything about the village. You know, we knew we wanted to be back in Devon after being away for a few years. We saw this house online and did an offer without seeing it, as you do. Hello there, I'm Stuart Elford, Chief Executive of Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce, with another edition of our In Conversation With podcast. But this is actually a special edition, and that's because Sail GP, which is arguably the world's most competitive racing on water, is returning to Britain's Ocean City on the 30th and 31st of July this year for the Great Britain Sail Grand Prix, where 10 competing nations will race it out in identical fast-foiling F-50 catamarans reaching speeds exceeding 60 miles per hour. And today I'm lucky enough to be joined by Devon sailor Nick Hutton, who has joined the GBR team as a trimmer and will be racing in Plymouth Sound at that event. So, hi Nick, and thanks for joining me. Good morning, Stuart. You all well? All good, thank you. Although the best thing to do in this heat is to not be on an F-50 catamaran, is to be in a hot studio. So forgive me if I expire (laughs) during this interview, but there we go. Nick, how does it feel to be racing for GBR in your home county? It's a great privilege to race for the GBR Sail GP team. And I was very fortunate that I was racing with the Australian team last year. And we obviously won last year. So it was great to still be representing Devon and winning at home but it'll be even nicer to be with the British team this year racing at home for me. And what's so special about racing in Plymouth particularly? The big thing for me is that we get to race a lot of places around the world and it's very rare that we race at this level in Plymouth or so close to home for me and I think it's a great place to race and it's a great stadium to showcase sailing and sail GP. Well isn't it? I mean it's a natural amphitheatre isn't it? You can see the sailing from all sides you know and I was lucky enough to be out last year on a boat watching these things and they scream don't they when they go past you it's like watching a Formula One car. Yes, we are going very, very fast. And obviously the water, when you start going that fast, starts getting quite dense. Our foils are made of titanium, so they get a bit of a hum on when we're going 40, 50 knots. Ah, right. So it's not the rigging, it's the actual foil going through the water. Yeah, it's the foil going through the water that makes a high-pitched sort of resonation under the water that you can hear from the outside. Well, you can definitely hear it. And it's so impressive to watch. And it's great. You know, Plymouth's joining some amazing cities around the world. It Was it Bermuda, Chicago, Copenhagen, Saint-Tropez, Cadiz, Dubai... Christchurch and Plymouth. Who knew? Yeah, I know it's great. And I think it's super impressive that, you know, we can manage to put this event on in Plymouth. And, you know, I can only thank all the guys in the Plymouth Council, etc., that can make it happen because it is great for the area. And so many of the people I know are coming down to watch and to see what it's all about and hopefully have a great weekend. Yeah, it is good for the area. And yes, all credit to Plymouth City Council for grabbing the opportunity. I know it's particularly hard because we don't have the vibrant economy that perhaps Dubai has. So we haven't got the top sponsors here. But I hope, I really do hope, Sail GP will continue to sail out of Plymouth Sound because it is such a spectacle. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think Plymouth Sound as a home for Sail GP UK would be a great place to try and keep it at. For me, I don't think there's a better place in the UK for us to do it. As you already said, the whole natural amphitheatre thing, and there's so many places you can come to watch the CLGP from all around the Plymouth Sound. It's not necessarily, you know, at the CLGP venue, even if just going on a walk up on the top there, you can see what's going on for 10, 15 minutes and, you know, see what it's all about. It's not just a sailing event that's miles from the shore. It's full on, it's super fast and 
there'll be some action for sure. Yeah, and that's good. I mean, people can come from all around, as you say, and hopefully it'll inspire the next generation, people perhaps who hadn't even realised that you can have a career on the water. You started sailing very young yourself, didn't you? Yeah, so I was very fortunate. My parents or my dad ran a mast building company in Dartmouth when I was growing up. I had little option other than to go sailing on the weekend. So it was kind of forced upon me, shall we say. <laughs> yeah, my mum asked me when we were going to school one day, what are you going to do at 12, I think? And I said I was going to get paid to go sailing, which at the time is, you know, you just want to go sailing because it's what you enjoy doing. You know, you hope that you can do a job from what you enjoy doing at that age, but you never really think it's possible until... A long time later and a lot of effort later. Well, that's the dream, isn't it? I think they say, do what you love and somehow you'll find a way to make money out of it. And hopefully you're doing okay. <laughs> what is it you love about sailing? Why do you feel so alive when you're sailing? From the beginning, it was definitely the freedom aspect. You know, there's not many sports or anything you can do from, you know, I was on my own in a boat at seven, eight in a little optimist down at the Royal Dart Yacht Club. And to be able to just push off the dock and, you know, you crack on, you learn your own things, you learn when you need to duck so you don't get hit by the boom, you know where the wind's coming from, you know how to be nice to people when you're getting in the way or you need them to help you get your boat back up and learn how to look after all of your stuff because ultimately we spent a lot of time travelling around the country from 12 to 16, you know, with my parents. And managing all your kit, if you like, and making sure that you have your socks or whatever else that you might have left from the night before, you learn pretty quick that if you don't look after your stuff, it's not there in the morning or it's still wet and you've got to put it on again. So some great life skills to be had from taking on a sport like that. Yes. Well, it reminds me, so I was helping Pete Goss out as his sort of shore manager when he sailed Spirit of Mystery, the smallest migrant vessel ever to make it to Australia. And it was a 37 foot wooden lugger. They decked it out, these fishermen, and it was the smallest vessel to make there. And Pete built spirit of mystery we didn't call it a replica because it wasn't exactly had the same lines but there are no original drawings so had to be as close as you could to that but anyway the big preparation all the preparation they went through and they left and they're on their way to australia and they're going to be at sea for several months and then they realize they've all left their underwear in the laundrette that's not a, <laughs> that's not a good start to a long yeah, sail no. is it that's a long trip with no underwear yeah how many times did you get hit by the boom before you learned to duck or are you still getting hit by it? <laughs> it's still getting hit by it. And I don't think that many. I think it's probably one of those things. It only takes once to learn that that piece of metal is not going to stop for your head. You know, you get hit once or twice and then you're like, right. Dartmouth or Kingswear is a very steep valley and a very difficult place to learn to sail, which I think probably put me in good stead later in life because it is not easy. It's very gusty and tidal and there's lots of boats going on and ferries. And it's a very tricky place to learn how to sail. So train hard, race easy. Yeah, absolutely. Get it right. I guess you have to learn to react quickly and especially on these boats. I mean, they must be actually quite dangerous, especially if you get it wrong. Yeah, foiling boats, we take every precaution possible at LGP to look after the guys and we do a lot of safety training to make sure that we are okay if the worst does happen. Obviously, we're not travelling slowly. We're doing sort of, as you said earlier, up to 60 miles an hour, 50 odd knots, which if you're in a car going across a field, you know, or pickup truck, say you're sat in the back and you were doing 50 miles an hour, you would really know about it. So it's a similar sort of thing to that. And obviously we have harnesses, but it's not like having a seatbelt in a car, like it doesn't stop you flying forwards only stops you leaving the parameters of the boat so you can't fall off. Yeah. But it doesn't stop you hitting the person in front or the pedestal or the other bits there are to hit. So it's tricky. You know, we obviously are very good at what we do, so we tend not to have too many crashes. But it can be a thing. I was in Valencia last week and we were training on a foiling boat there and we had a big old crash yesterday. So I'm still a bit bruised from that one, but she should right. be all right in a week or so. 
Yeah, we're okay. And yeah. I'm guessing I, a crash on a GP boat would be very expensive. Yeah, I mean, you know, with all these things, it's hard to deny the point that it is a expensive sport. And very much like Formula One, we draw a lot of parallels with Formula One that we are racing at the cutting edge of science and technology. And it is expensive. There's no getting around that fact that we use very good materials, a lot of carbon fiber is involved in the construction of the boats and it is very strong in certain parameters but we can break it mm-hmm. CLGP have done an amazing job of making the boats relatively bulletproof considering what we put them through and i think they do a fantastic job of looking after the kit and it lasting very well considering how hard we work it for the two or three days we sail it and then the guys pack it up and it ships on to the next event so the amount of time they get to maintain the equipment is actually quite short so that shows you how good the base product is yeah well they are incredible things i'll just touch on their speed one last time but i think the british team i'm told has secured a number of firsts including setting the sail gp speed record of 94.8 kmh that's shifting isn't it what does that feel like <laughs> yeah, well, it feels like you're just hoping that it's going to slow down a little bit in a minute. Because <laughs> So, I mean, obviously, when we're going that far, it's not probably not obviously, but when we are going that fast, we start to boil the water off the foils because the foil is working so hard, it starts to cavitate. So the pressure is so low on the top surface of the foil that the water is effectively boiling, which I know sounds tricky to work out that we're boiling salt water when we're going along, but that is effectively what's happening. And then you obviously lose area because you're producing drag in the form of air bubbles Mm. off your foil, which then slows you down again until the cavitation stops. How do you stop? Because it hasn't got brakes, is it? You can't just sort of press a pedal and all come to a stop. No, we don't have any brakes. You know, there is times when you wish you did have some brakes. Yeah. We just have to slow down relatively slowly. And we can, we really need to, we can slow down quite quickly, but it's not very much fun for everyone involved. Going back to Formula One again, it's very much a trusting, very trusting sport between all of us on the start line. So we have, you know, the nine boats at the minute. And when everyone gets to that first mark to turn downwind towards the bottom of the course, there is a lot of trust in everyone involved that the boat in front in our case is not going to crash because we are so close behind them if they have an accident or stop the boat then the boat behind is going to crash into them and probably the boat behind that will crash into them so there's a lot of trust that everyone is in control of their boat at all times yeah trust amongst the crew must be high as well because you've got to trust everyone to get on with their job and do it well follow the Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce on Twitter at Chamber underscore Devon and search for us on LinkedIn. Make sure you don't miss out on future episodes. Hit subscribe now. What's your role on the boat? So I manage the front sail of one of my jobs, so the jib, so I trim that in and out. The role for that job is to make sure that the sail, if you like, or we think of it more of an aeroplane wing and a little aeroplane wing stuck in the boat, pointing up in the air, is to make that wing the best possible shape at all times to give us the most amount of forward drive or forward thrust. So I move that around quite a lot with three different functions Mm. to manipulate the sail into a better shape. And it's very similar to when you're coming in to land a plane from your holidays. If you look out the window, you'll see the pilot change the wing. So they'll change the front of the wing and they'll also change the flaps at the back. And that's to make the wing more efficient when going slow to coming in to land. And then when you're up and traveling fast, they'll change the wing again to make less drag and a bit less lift. Right. Very similar concept. Wow. Away from GP, you've had quite a varied and exciting sailing career as well, haven't you? So what are the sort of highlights of that? I've done three America's Cups now. Maybe do one more. We'll see how we go. And then a lot of extreme sailing series, which was 
super interesting and that was the beginning really of this sort of catamaran stadium racing and it was great to be involved from that from the beginning and we did a lot of similar things traveling around the world to singapore and sydney and all these great locations to sail we never made it down to plymouth we were always racing up at cows but again you know plymouth would have been a great location to hold the extreme sailing series Yes, it would. Can you tell I'm slightly biased? But I would be. I think it's a fantastic venue. We need to have more races down here. So have you gone more towards the, I guess, what local sailors would call round the cans rather than sort of long offshore racing? Yes, I mean, just how my career has developed has ended up round the can racing, inshore racing, we call it. And that's what I prefer. And my lifestyle and what I enjoy doing is everything is pretty much as fast as possible or as hard as possible so to be able to do things like that where it's for sale gp we have three races a day and they're all 20 minutes super fast and then you're done i enjoy the offshore stuff but i wouldn't say it's what i love doing no i love sailing but i'm kind of done with getting cold and wet and bouncing around in freezing conditions for hours upon end i think round yeah. the cans hot shower cold beer that's yeah, the answer good. You've had a varied and exciting sailing career. What else do you do? Aside from Sail UP, we're obviously spending a lot of time traveling around the world. And I've actually been away for eight weeks now. So this is the first time I've come home since Chicago, Sail GP. We've been in Spain racing on the TP52, which is the premier keelboat racing against some of the best keelboat racers in the world. And then we've got some other things going on, which I can't really talk about. Oh, uh, Oh, give yeah. us a clue. Give us the world well, exclusive it, on the chamber. World exclusive. Yeah. A bit more foils involved. Okay. We'll keep that as far as we can know. But well, it's exciting stuff and it's where the sport's going. So it's all good. Yeah. Well, when you're allowed to tell us, do you we want to break the news here to our 38,000 <laughs> yeah, no podcast problem. listeners in Devon? So are there any lows to it? I mean, is it glamorous or is it just purely exhausting? I wouldn't say it's glamorous. I'm not in the front of the plane. Let's put it that way. It's not <laughs> what everyone thinks. We're not business class around the world having a nice time. We are in the back. When we are at our location, we are either in the harbour or probably in a hotel sleeping or out on the road bike it's not we're off to the beach or the pub it's we are at work and the work days are long do you get any time off at all what do you do when you're not sailing generally try and catch up with the garden because <laughs> it gets away of it no i have a great family here that you know, i spend a lot of time away from when i am home i need to do a lot of time to make sure that i give the time to the kids and to my wife that they deserve after being away for so much over the year yeah where is home for you you are devon based don't you yeah, yeah, yeah. So we live just outside Staverton. Uh-huh. So just at the bottom of Dartmoorish. Yeah, we're very, very lucky to found it. We bought it in the village from San Francisco, actually. We didn't know anything about the village. You know, we knew we wanted to be back in Devon after yeah. being away for a few years. We saw this house online and did an offer back in 2014 right. without seeing it, as you do. Wow. And then when we came home, probably a month later, we had a look around and the estate agent was like, I'm not sure what you're going to do if you don't like it. And I'm like, well, I... I'm not too worried it's going to cost me a couple of thousand in fees i guess but you know it was all good and it was a you great like house it. and since then we've been very happy and made very welcome in the village and are very privileged to live there now yeah well devon's just such a fabulous place and i guess if you're away a lot there couldn't be a better place to relax and chill out yeah i've grown up in devon you know i was born in torbay hospital and lived in kingswear for my whole life in pretty much the same house that my parents built and it's a very nice place to grow up and i wouldn't have changed growing up in this area for the world no, I love it. I haven't tried to get away, but I've moved twice and always come back. So I just want to touch on a couple of things. I understand you support a couple of particular charities, one, the Andrew Simpson Sailing Foundation and the 1851 Trust. Can you tell us a bit about those? 
Yeah, Andrew Simpson Foundation was set up for a good friend of ours, Andrew Simpson, who was nicknamed Bart Simpson. Of course. For obvious reasons. Yeah. And that was following a big accident in San Francisco when we were there for the America's Cup in 2013. Unfortunately, he didn't come home from that event. So they set up a trust for Andrew, which is to help get people involved in sailing or get children involved in sailing. So that's mainly based in Weymouth now. And they take so many people sailing and it's such a great project for them to do. The 1851 Trust was set up in the previous America's Cup as part of the Land Rover VAR America's Cup team. And that was to educate as many children as possible in Portsmouth and surrounding areas about what foiling is and sailing and science and maths to help understand how the sails work, how the boats work and how we end up effectively foiling out of the water. And the 1851 Trust now is a countrywide education tool where teachers can go on. And there's lots of different resources to help teachers ultimately teach children about sailing or wings or high pressure, low pressure in a slightly different way than what they might have done normally. And, you know, I think the 1851 Trust are very proud of what they've achieved there. Yeah, I think that's really important because not every child engages with a curriculum in the same way. And I think getting young people to see the exciting parts of sailing or the different aspects of life on the water. We got the tall ship Pelican down to Plymouth a couple of years ago and put a bunch of young people on it, many of whom from quite disadvantaged backgrounds, many of whom who didn't even know you could have a job on a boat. And by the end of it, 75% of them said they either wanted a job on the water or in marine biology. And that's really exciting, opening the opportunities up, showing them what's out there. Would you recommend it to young people? You say this is a career? I can't recommend it enough. If you really want to believe in doing something, then I think everything is possible. And for sure, we're working on the sea or being involved in the sea is a great place to work. And yeah, it's a thoroughly enjoyable job. And You know, I was very lucky to grow up, obviously, in a marine environment. And I went to school at Brixham School, which, you know, is very much, very much a fishing port and a fishing school at Brixham Community College. And, you know, a lot of my friends in my year were and are trawler fishermen. And, you know, they were the same for them. It was just in their blood. Their parents were trawlermen and they were trawlermen and they still are. And they've done very well out of what they do. And hopefully we're all getting along well i mean it's very difficult from back then to still keep in touch with a lot of people but Mm. i think they're all going well you don't have to do sail racing do you i mean you've got a competitive spirit i read on one of your bios about your favorite quote ayrton senna being second um, is the first of the ones who lose is this your kind of ethos yeah basically the first look you are you're a loser (laughs) (laughs) so you've got a competitive streak have you Yeah, I don't know why it's so full on. Even for me, like driving somewhere, you know, like I really struggle with the concept of being overtaken and things like that. It's just really hard to put it under, not just get carried away. It's something that must be inbred there in somewhere because I can't seem to get rid of it. No matter what we do, I always end up trying too hard, be it either on the road bike or whatever else to do a better time than I did the time before. It's a strange thing, competitiveness, isn't it? I think I've got the same streak as you there. And a mate of mine, we were in the gym and we did a few reps of something and I said, I'm going to do one more set. And he said, oh, you're so competitive, aren't you? You want to beat me? I said, no, I'm not beating you. I'm beating me. I need to be better than I was yesterday. You know, is that you just wanting to be better and better yourself? Yeah. And I think, you know, the life of sport will lead you down that road, to be fair. You know, that Ultimately, you do want to beat other people and you want to be the best at what you do in the world. But ultimately, it's just being the best you can be first and foremost and then trying to beat everyone else. But a part of beating everyone else comes from being the best that you can possibly be within yourself. And then the rest of it comes later. 
So it's not about looking out to begin with. It's about looking inside and making sure that you do everything you can do to make sure that you are the best you can be before worrying about whatever else is going on outside of your little world. I think it's very good advice. So I have mentioned a couple of times in this interview that I am a sailor. You know, if anyone drops out, I am available. Although I understand the weight might be a bit of an issue because you have to be quite trim, don't you? (laughs) Yeah, so we have a maximum weight limit across the six guys of 502 kilos or 501 kilos, somewhere around there. Yeah. And we obviously we have our two big guys at the front who face backwards that are 95, 96 kilos each. They put in a lot of watts with their arms to help pull the sails in and out. And then I help them a little bit, but I try to avoid doing too much work. But uh, (laughs) they give me some good abuse for not helping them too much. But yeah, I do try and help them. Well, it's not something you need on a sail GP boat, but I can provide the ballast. I think that's about all I can do on there. (laughs) But just hashtag I'm available. Would love to have a go. You know, they are (laughs) the very pinnacle of sailing. And who wouldn't want to have a play with that? Yeah, and you're right. And it is awesome. I feel so lucky that I get to sail on these kind of boats. And you look back and you do things like this and you talk about when you were growing up and you're optimist, which is a very small child friendly boat at seven, eight, nine, ten. And then you look up to where you are now and it's kind of sort of a pinch yourself sort of moment where you are at the top of it and racing around in these boats that people trust you to race that cost a lot of money and you need to deliver it back to the dock at the end of the day in one piece and again talking about formula one it's very similar mm. where the guys are racing their go-karts when they're super young and then they go up through the formula to the top and it's the same way that when we crash we do feel responsible or we are responsible but we do feel bad for the guys that then have to try and work all night to fix our boats are ready to race again the next day in a very same vein that when the guys crash the cars they owe a lot to the team to get them back on the road the next day Well, it's all about the team, isn't it? You can't do it on your own. But I think from the sound of it and the amount of work and effort you've put in, you deserve that success. And it's great that you enjoy it. So that's Sail GP coming to Britain's Ocean City on the 30th and 31st of July. Tickets available from the website sailgp.com. Thank you for sharing a bit of that success. I know this was very last minute. I know you've just come back into the country. So do appreciate you getting up, joining us on our In Conversation With podcast. And I look forward to cheering you on from the spectator boats on the 30th and 31st of July. Thanks very much. Really appreciate you joining us, Nick Hutton. Thank you. If you're not already a Chamber member and you'd like to join, membership starts from as little as £245 per annum plus VAT. Your business can gain yearly benefits in excess of £2,200. Check out the membership section at devonchamber.co.uk. Be part of something bigger and join today to connect, grow and succeed with the Devon and Plymouth Chamber. In Conversation With is produced by Fresh Air Studios. Full audio production services for podcasts, live links and corporate communications. Visit freshairstudios.com. Presented by Stuart Elford. Produced and engineered by Paul Philpot. Edited and mixed by Martin Burgess Moon. Production support by Lisa Hartwell. Copyright Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce and Fresh Air Studios Limited. All rights reserved.